All right, good morning. Um, there's just a few people in the sanctuary today. I know that most will be viewing from home. Uh, we're glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we are going to continue uh, to look through the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to turn there, uh, if you will, right now. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll be focusing in on verses 9 and 10. The purpose of 1 Timothy is actually stated in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul says this, that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And so what we've been looking at so far in Timothy is we've seen that in chapter 1, there's this warning uh, to silence false teachers. In chapter 2, we saw that we are to pray and we're to pray that people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth because this is what God's desire is. Last week we looked at verse 8 and we saw that the men were having a specific problem. They were praying, but the problem is that they were praying in a way that they had anger towards one another and there were quarrels among them. And Paul is saying, yes, you're to pray, but not in this way. You are to pray with uh, lifting up holy hands, which meant you're to pray with a holy life and a life that is free from anger. And we said that that really applies to everyone. Everyone is to pray. So women also, when they pray, are to pray with holy lives and without any kind of anger or contention among them. Today we're going to focus in on women as we look at uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, but just to get the context, we're going to actually read First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So this is the very word of God, and here's what it says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The sense the reading of God's word, let's look to him for prayer. Father, we do come to you in these uh, uncertain times. Lord, we don't know what the future holds, but as the saying goes, we know who holds the future, and that is you, Lord. And so I just pray, God, that you would sustain your church through this crisis. I pray that your church would actually flourish uh, through this this crisis that is coming uh, in the United States and around the world, Lord. And I pray that we would hold to the truths that we find in your word. And I pray, God, that as we look at those truths today, um, I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would uh, convict us where conviction needs to be made and that our lives would be changed as a result of this. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
It is the Academy Awards. Uh, the red carpet has been rolled out. The celebrities have gathered uh, together for this special night. Coming down the carpet first is Natalie Portman. Uh, and she is sporting a red dress from Christian Dior, uh, valued at about $50,000. Behind her is uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, who is wearing a dress that's valued at about $140,000. Close behind her is Jennifer Lawrence, uh, wearing a, uh, a powder pink strapless dress, valued at $4 million. And then we have Lady Gaga wearing a, uh, a, a diamond necklace once owned by Audrey Hepburn valued at about $30 million. I'm sure that we've all seen the award shows like the Academy Awards or the Emmys or the Grammys or whatever it, it may be. Um, and we look at the dresses of the women and some are, are very uh, beautiful and tasteful while others can be very, very revealing. But what you notice about all of the dresses that they, is that they are very expensive. And the women wearing these are usually seeking to make a statement. They're seeking to draw attention to themselves, and we would say that they do a very good job. We see them that night, then we see them uh, in the newspaper and the internet the next day. To a certain extent, this is what was going on in the church in Ephesus that uh, uh, Timothy was called to minister in. And if you've been here at GBC for any length of time, um, you know what people generally wear. You see this, the same people uh, week in and week out. You, you have a, a, a feel for what they're wearing. And you would notice, as I have noticed, that nobody in this church wears anything outlandish. I've never seen anyone come into this church with anything outlandish like we're talking about right now. But what I want you to do is I want you to imagine for a moment that we are right in the middle of worship. The uh, ushers have just taken up uh, the offering, and I have come up here, and I'm getting ready to preach. And in walks a woman, a tall woman wearing a, uh, an elegant, expensive black dress, which is low cut in the front and in the back with a slit that's going almost all the way up the leg. Her hair is, is, is done up and it's woven in with gold threads and there's jewels and she's got this, this big diamond necklace which is glittering as she's walking up as the sunlight is hitting it. Let me ask you a question. Would that be a distraction in worship. You bet it would be a distraction in worship. Every head would be turning of believers and unbelievers. Those who have been in the church uh, for a while would be thinking, who in the world is this woman? As she was walking, all eyes would be on her. As she was sitting there, the person sitting behind her would no doubt be distracted looking at her hair thinking, my goodness, I wonder how much those gold, that gold and those jewels are worth. Uh, people who are sitting uh, on the side of her would probably be uh, doing everything they could not to turn and look at her. And those sitting in front of her would be doing everything that they could to not turn around and to see what is it about this woman well, this is exactly what was going on with certain of the women in the church in Ephesus. And we see this clearly in verse 9, where Paul says this, Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Now, please don't 
hear what Paul is not saying. Paul is not forbidding uh, women uh, to braid their hair. There's a lot of women in this church that braid their hair. That's not what he's talking about. Nor is he talking uh, about that is forbidden for women to wear any kind of gold or any kind of jewelry whatsoever. That is not what he's saying. His emphasis is on moderation. It's on moderation. And this is actually, if you look at the Bible, this is the message of the Bible and many other things, especially when it comes to things like eating and drinking and wearing clothes. For example, we are permitted to eat. In fact, we need to eat, right? We're permitted to eat, but we are not allowed to overeat. We're not allowed to go into gluttony and indulgence. We are also permitted to drink alcohol. It is not forbidden in the Bible. We are permitted to drink alcohol, but we are not permitted to drink too much and become drunk. And likewise, the women in Ephesus were permitted to get dressed. Absolutely, right? But they were not permitted to dress excessively. The Apostle Peter speaks to this issue as well in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. As he's talking to the women, here's what he says to them. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. This is clear. Uh, that, that Peter is not prohibiting that women braid their hair or wear uh, gold or jewelry because if, if he was prohibiting that, then he would also be prohibiting them from wearing clothing because that's what he's saying is that you need to dress. You have to wear a clothing and you can wear gold and you can wear jewelry. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, you see that they were permitted to wear gold and jewelry in the Old Testament. In fact, regarding the virtuous wife, that wife that is exalted in, in Proverbs chapter 31, in verse 22, here's what it says of her. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Fine linen, that implies uh, expense, that implies uh, royalty even. Her clothing is fine linen and purple and of, song, uh, and of Solomon's bride in Song of Sol Solomon, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It says this, Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. So it's not merely uh, the act of braiding the hair or, or the wearing of, of gold or jewelry. It's the excess that both Peter and Paul forbid. There were wealthy women in the early churches, and some of these wealthy women, not all of them, some of these wealthy women were flaunting their wealth. Here's what one author notes regarding this. He said this, quote, the expensive dresses worn by wealthy women could cost up to 7,000 denarii. Let me just stop there for a second. A denarii was a day's wages. If you calculate this, and let's just say that someone makes $50,000 a year, if you were to calculate 7,000 days wages, that would be a dress that is worth about uh, $900,000, nearly a million dollars. Continuing on, he says this, a first century uh, Roman historian described a dress of the wife of the, uh, of the emperor Caliglia which was worth several hundred thousand dollars by today's standards. Dresses of the common women 
could cost as much as five to eight hundred denarii. Once again, taking it into today's uh, world, that would be uh, two years wages. Think about how much you make in a year. One dress, and you're taking two years salary to do that. That is excessive in anyone's book. Not only were some of the women showing off their wealth, they were also showing off too much of their bodies as well. Another author notes this, quote, a particular dress code was in effect because with her outer dress, the woman would signal either modesty and dignity or promiscuous availability. At this time, the widely approved apparel of the wife was the stola, a robe-like garment made of much cloth. As a sign of uh, marital fidelity and respectability, the stola represented, uh, presented an intentional contrast with the often more revealing and colorful clothing, the toga of the prostitute, designed to signify her shame, but frequently used instead to advertise her wares. End quote. Extravagant or revealing clothing spoke loudly of your intent as you were coming into worship. So we need to ask the question, how in the world does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? Well, quite honestly, I do not see, and I've never seen any woman um, come into this church with a $50,000 dress, or even a several thousand dollar dress for that matter. I've never seen any woman come into this church with excessive jewelry, gold or jewelry. In fact, I, don't, I haven't seen this in any of the churches that I've ever been in. Most of the churches that I've been in, the, the, the clothing of the women more borders on more revealing than anything else. And I understand that, um, taking the culture that we live in today, the, the styles um, are more revealing. But here's what I want to say is that I would never, ever want to tell a woman what she can wear, how she should dress. But what I would do is I would warn them. I would warn you to be careful regarding what you put on so that you do not draw attention to things that attention should not be drawn to. It is a well-known fact, don't want to bring this up, but it's a well-known fact that men lust. Men lust. This in, in fact, Jesus, when he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say uh, that if a man looks on a woman with uh, lustful intention, he's committed adultery in his heart, which is saying that men have a problem. And if you were to look at the list, if you were to look at the, 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 almost all the lists that Paul gives about sins, sexual sin is almost at, at the top of all of them with the exception of maybe one. A woman's outfit in the church could contribute to a man lusting. Expensive clothing, on the other hand, could cause those who are less fortunate, those who don't have a lot of money, those who uh, are, are just uh, scraping by to, uh, to, to, feel, to, to maybe covet that to maybe wish, man, I wish I had clothing like that, or, or maybe to feel insecure, like, man, I, I don't dress like that at all. I can't, I can't afford anything nice. Now, please listen carefully. I am not saying for a moment that you cannot wear nice clothing. I am not saying for a moment that you cannot wear jewelry. I'm not saying that you have to come into this church in rags with hair uncombed. And if that was the case, that might be even more distracting than wearing really fine clothing or a lot of jewelry. You take care to prepare 
yourself physically for worship. You're careful uh, when you're preparing not to draw any undue attention to yourself. And by the way, I just want to stop and say this. This can also apply to men, just like the, the, um, the prayer in verse 8 could apply to women. This can also apply to men. Men uh, can draw attention to themselves as well with what they're wearing or how they're carrying themselves. But here in our passage, the focus is more on women, which is why Paul says this. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control with modesty and self-control. That word respectable, it's an interesting word because it actually comes from the root word uh, where we get the world, the cosmos, which is the ordered world. And we see that this, this universe has order to it. It's presented in an orderly way. And so in a sense, what Paul is saying is that your, your outfit should be ordered. It should be presentable. The word modesty is an innate moral repugnance uh, to a dishonorable act or fashion. Uh, it, it, you look at that and you're saying, no, 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 no. Uh, a person who is modest would say, I can't wear this. This is, this is too revealing. It would be distracting to others. Finally, the word self-control is moderation of desires, passions, or even conduct as well. The point is that when it comes to dress, when it comes to style appropriate for worship, it's all about order and moderation. It's all about decency. It's all about respectability. But even though the outward appearance of women is singled out here in this passage, I do not believe that it's what Paul's primary concern is. Paul doesn't want them to be so overly concerned about their outward appearance that they neglect taking care of their inward appearance their inward person. In other words, Paul is saying this, don't spend so much time working on what man can see. Spend more time working on what only God can see. You remember when Samuel the prophet was told to go to the uh, house of Jesse to find a new king for Israel because Saul um, had been such a failure and he was told that one of the sons, one of the several sons of Jesse is going to be the next king. And, and Samuel comes in and he's looking at him. He looks at the firstborn and he's tall and strong. And he's thinking, certainly this is the one. This is the one. He looks like a king. And here's, what the, here's how the story is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. It says this, when they came, he looked on uh, Eliab. And thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David, this young, ruddy, probably puny little kid who did not look like a king at all, God looked into his heart and said, this is a man after my own heart. God was looking at the inward person. And this is what I believe that Paul is saying here. And just like it was not a sin to be tall in the time of Samuel, nor was it a sin to wear nice things in the time of Paul, the sin was found in your heart's motivation. And I believe that's what Paul's point is here. So some of the questions that you might ask yourself as you're getting ready for worship in the morning is this, why am I wearing what I am wearing? Am I just dressing comfortably or am I trying to show off? 
Am I just getting dressed for worship or am I seeking to draw attention to myself with what I'm wearing? Do I want to be noticed on Sunday morning? Do I want someone to say, oh, that's such a cute outfit or whatever? Do I, am I drawing attention away from God and putting it on myself? Now, I want to stop here for a minute because anytime that you're talking about dress, um, dress codes or whatever, there's a ton of qualifiers that need to be made right here. But let me just say uh, this. Nobody in this church has been given permission by God to be the fashion police, okay? Um, someone will always, I can guarantee someone will always find something wrong with any outfit you're wearing, no matter how modest it may be. Someone is always going to have a problem with that. I remember uh, a good friend of mine uh, in St. Louis, we were talking about this issue one day, and he was telling me that decades ago he was in a very, very conservative Plymouth Brethren church uh, in St. Louis. And at, at some point in the church, the men were really struggling with lust. They were struggling with, the, with, with some of the outfits that the women were wearing. So they came to the women gently and said, hey, look, can you change what you're wearing? Because it's really hard uh, for us to concentrate. And the women... Uh, being in compliance and, and not wanting to, uh, to create a stumbling block, started to wear, uh, the way my friend described it, almost like this Victorian uh, dress. Uh, and I'm not talking like those old dresses, but um, not only were their torsos and most of their legs covered, but their necks were covered, most of their arms were covered, and even down to their feet was covered. They did not want uh, to create any uh, opportunity for a man to lust at all. Problem solved, right? Wrong. Because my friend said that one of the friends in, his, in, in the church came to him and said, man, I was sitting behind this woman and the mere outline of her bra strap ignited lust in me. I had a dear uh, uh, elderly uh, seminary professor who, used to, who told uh, our class that he and his friends when they were young used to walk two miles, over two miles, just to see a woman's ankle, Okay just to see a woman's ankle. My point is that women can only do so much, right? You can only do so much. Some men are always going to find a way to lust. Still others in the church might judge a woman for wearing designer clothing, thinking that anything uh, more expensive than the Walmart brand is excessive. My intention in bringing this to your attention is not to make women feel uncomfortable about what they're wearing in the presence of men. I just want you as a woman to be aware that lust is a real issue uh, for men. And at the same time, I would say that even um, uh, it's not just confined to men. I, I know that women can lust uh, as well. And this is why moderation is called, across, is called for across the board. The point is this, that we are never, ever going to get to a place in this world where we are free from lust, where we've completely eliminated lust or materialism. And we as a church are not going to start to hand out complimentary parkas at the, at the back of the church, nor are we going to check designer labels on clothing. God is calling us to be respectful and modest in our dress. Those who will continue to lust or those who will continue to judge will just need to take that up with God. If you know that your heart motivation is right before God, if you know that you've taken the proper precautions um, in, in your dress, the reasonable precautions, then I would just say don't worry about what others may be thinking. 
But as I said before, at the end of the day, Paul's main concern is more about the inward condition of a person than the outward appearance, which is why he says that women should dress, yes, get dressed, but that that dress should be what is proper for a woman who professes godliness with good works. Your outward dress, your outward style should reflect an inward, your inward profession of godliness. It should reflect a heart that knows God and what he desires. And this is what I'll say, is that true inward changes will be manifest outwardly. As your heart is changed, it will be manifest outwardly. As we pursue holiness, which we're all commanded to do, then that holiness will be manifest in our speech. It will be manifest in the way that we talk. It will be manifest in our attitude towards others. It will be manifest in our actions in the world. And yes, it will even be manifest in in, um, such mundane things as eating and drinking and even the clothes that we wear, the way that we dress. It will also manifest in our worship and our attitude towards worship as well. Worship will be about exalting God, not about drawing attention to myself. The person who has an improper understanding of themselves and seeks to um, uh, exalt their wealth or their body or their looks is basically when they come into worship, what they're saying is this, here I am, look at me, aren't I wealthy? Aren't I beautiful? Aren't I attractive? On the other hand, the person who has a proper understanding of who they are, who seeks to exalt God, will come into worship and say, I'm here, and I'm here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to exalt God. It is all about God. If Jesus be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. If I am lifted up, I can offer nobody salvation. So I will not seek to be known to draw attention to myself. The person who desires to make sure that God gets all the attention really reflects the character, uh, the attitude of John the Baptist who said this, he must increase and I must decrease. God must become more visible, more glorious, more beautiful, and I must just fade out behind the scenes, unnoticed. In worship, people need to know God not you. So don't do anything that takes attention off of God by placing it on you. And I hope that it goes without saying that there are more ways to draw attention to yourself than just with your clothing. Um, uh, Like I said before, um, clothing is not really uh, the, uh, is, I've never seen a problem with clothing in this church. I've never seen anyone coming with any kind of outlandish clothing that is just uh, drawing people's attention to them. But there is um, other ways, like I said, that we can draw attention uh, to our, ourselves. And let me just give you one uh, example of that. Um, I knew a, a girl once in a church that I served in um, who was always depressed, always depressed. And when she would walk into the room, she would just suck the energy right out of the room. It just sucked the energy right uh, out of uh, uh, the room because uh, it always became about her and her problems. People couldn't focus on God because it was all about her. 
They immediately had to go and attend to her. Now, I am not saying that you cannot bring, um, that you cannot come into this church and bring your burdens, your heavy burdens with you, right? I'm not saying that you can't, I'm not saying that you can't make them known to others. In fact, in Galatians, Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens. This is how we fulfill the law of God. People come into the church with burdens. We need to know when people are hurting. But there are certain people who are just constantly drawing attention to themselves. They're seeking that attention. And maybe it's because it makes them feel loved. And if that's where they're getting their affirmation, if that's where getting, they're uh, seeking their love, then that's a problem. And so I would encourage uh, those kind of people, once again, this is just one example, um, to, uh, to seek that love from God, to know who you are in him, to silence the voice of the enemy, and to seek encouragement from others, and to remember that worship is always about God, so don't distract from that single purpose. What Paul is saying here is that if you need to focus in on yourself in any way whatsoever, then let it be for the uh, purpose of ensuring that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in you. Rather than thinking too much about whether this or that shirt looks good on you, consider what love would look like on you, what peace would look like on you, what patience would look like on you. Rather than wondering if these shoes clash with this outfit, consider whether the bitterness that is in your heart towards this person in the church clashes with the command to put away all bitterness and wrath. Like the psalmist, we should pray in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's the inward person, right? Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Once again, that's the inward person. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. These times that we are going through right now um, with the pandemic that is in the United States and around the world, I think really do reveal a person's heart. Um, we see people who are going out and hoarding essential items that everyone needs. They're, they're hoarding, they're clearing the shelves of toilet paper and, and, and cleaning supplies and all these things. And it's selfish. It's showing the selfishness of their hearts. I, I've seen some videos uh, on the internet about people fighting, actually having fist fights in grocery stores where the police had to be called because one person's taking all the toilet paper and not saving, not letting anyone else have any. You see the selfishness of a person's heart. On the other side, we also see at this time uh, great acts of compassion and kindness that are being uh, displayed from believers and unbelievers alike which, in my opinion, once again, is a, a reflection of the, care, uh, the uh, image of God in all people. But we see people stepping up. And here's what I want to say regarding that. We as believers should be leading the way in acts of kindness and compassion. And my question is, are we? Are we, in fact, doing that? What are these times revealing about your heart as you examine your heart? Is it filled with anxiety and not trust? Is it filled with selfishness rather than selflessness? And I would say this, if you don't like what you see, then pray that God would clean up your inside. Ask the Holy Spirit to produce in you a selfless love for others, a sacrificial love 
for others. Ask the Holy Spirit to produce in you a joy and a rejoicing in all of your circumstances, even the hard ones, even the uncertainty of these days, even the, the, the possibility of a, of a job loss or, or health concerns. Ask the Holy Spirit to produce that joy and rejoicing in you. Pray for peace. Pray uh, for a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that anchors you in the promises of God, the promises that he will never leave or forsake you, that he will provide for all of your needs. He knows what you need. Anchor, uh, pray for that peace that anchors you in those promises of God. Pray for a patience, patience with the government. I know a lot of people don't think that the government's doing the right thing. Maybe they're, being, uh, they're overreacting or not taking this seriously enough. Pray for patience regarding the people who are crazy right now, who are being selfish. Pray for them. Pray. Remember what Jesus said, uh, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Pray for patience that we would know how to deal with them. Pray that kindness would be produced in you. A kindness that wakes up in the morning and says, how can I ease the burden of someone else? What can I do? that will ease this person's burden, this person in the church or this person at my work or, or this person in my neighborhood. What can I do to show an act of kindness? Pray also that goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control would mark your character. Pray that we as the church would shine as lights in this dark world. And going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Pray that as a result of this crisis, that people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, which is God's ultimate desire. As leaders in this church, our prayer for you can be found in 3 John 2 and Galatians 5.13. And this is the prayer, that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers, and that through love you would serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for your word. Lord, I pray, God, that our desire this week would be uh, to truly um, work on our inside, to, to, to truly look inside and ask your Holy Spirit to search us, to see if there's any uh, wicked way in us, any evil uh, or misguided way in us, Lord. And I pray, God, that yes, we come to church presentable. Yes, we, uh, um, uh, we're careful to care for ourselves on the outside, but ultimately that we would be more concerned about what the inward person looks like. And I pray that that inward change in us would be manifest in an outward or in our outward thoughts and actions, Lord, as we care for people, as we love people, as we selflessly serve others in this community and beyond. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.